ChatGPT, AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. To hear Kristen Del Rosso tell it, everything began with a weekend of looking for bad guys on the internet. I was like, yeah, I was threat hunting with a friend and everyone laughed thinking, oh, that's hilarious. And I was like, I'm not joking. It just is something that we were doing on the weekend and not to sound like... So they were analyzing data logs, scanning web directories, looking for some kind of badness other people might have missed. Not to sound like total nerds, but I wanted to go to this conference and I was like, need to find something new. Something new to present to her industry colleagues. This was 2022, and Kristen was working at a cybersecurity firm called Sophos. And what happened was I was going through some interesting web directories, and then I saw what looked like someone who appeared to be pen testing against what was a variety of energy facilities in China. Pen testing, or penetration testing. It's kind of like rattling the doorknobs to see if they're locked. They're looking for vulnerabilities in software that even the company that made it might not know exists. The danger isn't so much the glitch, it's that the bad guys know about it, but no one else does. Vulnerabilities are like the holy grail for hackers, one of the best ways to sneak into a network without being discovered, which is why they're so sought after and so potentially dangerous. Nation-state hackers working for the military or the intelligence services actually consider them a weapon. So much so, they've been known to pay millions of dollars to buy them so they can leverage them. And as Kristen was poking around, she thought she spotted signs of someone, she wasn't sure who, who'd found one of these holes and was trying to see if it would let them into the networks they weren't supposed to be in. And I was like, well, this is interesting. Why does someone appear to be running tests against, you know, like 50 plus energy facilities in all these different districts? And then there's... Whoever it was appeared to have found four vulnerabilities. And they were testing to see if any of them would allow them to sneak into a system. Sort of like trying various keys in a lock. Does this one get me into the network? How about that one? And I was like, well, this is interesting. Oh, let's dig into this. Kristen went to the one place almost all threat hunters begin when they spot something like this. There are these publicly accessible databases with lists of known vulnerabilities and their possible fixes. Typically, these databases are pretty complete. Companies want to report bugs before some hacker takes advantage of them so they can quickly set out a patch and help maintain people's confidence in their products. When they find a bug, it gets added to these databases, which means when researchers like Kristen run into a vulnerability, they can just look it up and see if it's a known one or a new one. And that's what she did. She started searching through the databases for the four bugs that the hacker was trying to exploit. And almost right away, she found the first three. But the fourth one? Kristen couldn't find it anywhere. And the file name had this strange prefix the letters CNVD. It was listed as CNVD, and I had never seen that before. So I was like, oh, let's dig into this. And I looked up CNVD, and I was like, oh, goodness. Oh, goodness, because it turns out CNVD stood for the Chinese National Vulnerability Database. And Kristen thought, what the hell is that? This is a whole new database. And I just fell into this rabbit hole and went deeper and deeper. A rabbit hole that took her into the world of Chinese computer bugs, Middle Kingdom hackathons, 
and what would turn out to be a very different, potentially dangerous way of using all those vulnerabilities that companies dutifully report. I'm Dina Templerest, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. We tell true stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. And today, an episode about the building blocks of hacking, vulnerabilities, and exploits, and how China is flipping the script on how the world thinks about them both. In China, they're saying, we own everything. If you're operating here, we own it all. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Kristen Del Rosso didn't start out as a computer geek. She was one of those liberal arts kids, you know, studying history and politics. I always thought I would want to get into international affairs, you know, dreams of being maybe an ambassador or something. And then a random conversation with the chief information security officer at a conference changed all that. And I started a small talk with a guy there who was the CISO of a company. Um, Over this course of the year, he introduced me to the team, kind of explained what they did. They invited her into the office, and, as weird as it sounds, they showed her how to reverse engineer malware on an Android phone, which ended up getting her thinking about just how much interesting information we're carrying around in our pockets. If you talk to someone in the 80s and in the Cold War and said, there is this device that everyone carries around on them, and it has all their personal information, all their photos, video cameras, their location, and they always have it on them, and you can get into it. They would think that's like the best thing ever to spy on. And it's like, yeah, that's your cell phone. And the more she learned about cybersecurity, the more it seemed not just to be incredibly interesting, but to play to her strengths. So she changed careers. She went off the ambassadorial track right into cybersecurity. From there, it went into tracking, you know, the malware generated, you know, by different nation states targeting ethnic minorities or, you know, dissidents or civil rights activists. Which is why Kristen ended up threat hunting with a friend on a weekend, just to see what they might find. Now I'm really into this whole malware and threat intelligence side of things. If you want to crack into somebody's network, you need two basic things. A way to get in and a way to leverage that access once you've got it. Scanning database. Getting into a network can include anything from phishing emails to stolen logins and passwords to some unseen or unpatched mistake in software. Code can be buggy. Everybody knows that. That's why you keep getting updates for your smartphone or your operating system. 
And while bugs aren't necessarily dangerous, if bad people get their hands on them, it's a problem. Apple's urging users to update devices immediately after identifying a major security flaw. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Experts say yeah. the issue could result in hackers getting complete control of your device. Which is why there are these vulnerability databases that we talked about before. They're a kind of directory of coding mistakes, like a mugshot binder for bad code. The idea is to help make products better and prevent bad guys from breaking into networks and wreaking havoc. There's a nice one-for-all, all-for-one vibe to all of this. And typically, to help keep things tidy and searchable, these databases use simple naming conventions. Things like CVE dash the year dash whatever number of vulnerability is. But if you look at China's catalog of bugs, it's not like that. Not only are the naming conventions not user-friendly, the whole process seems downright hostile. For one thing, the database is only open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Beijing time. Good evening. The store is now closed. Thank you for shopping with us today. That was really annoying. It's a website. You know, it's not like a nine-to-five storefront shop. It should just be open all the time. It was also really difficult to make an account. And once she got in, it kept knocking her out of the system. Every few clicks, it would say, you know, too much activity coming from this IP address, really limiting my ability in the United States to just review the content on the website. Is that normal? No, that's not normal at all. The database is clearly tailored for people inside China. So it's a lot harder for, you know, foreign researchers to understand what's going on. Which she came to believe is no accident. It's essentially, they, it's showing how they're starting to isolate this because it's for their own internal goals and purposes. Maybe the biggest red flag was that usually when you find a particular bug, you see it pop up as the same file in various databases around the world. But when Kristen dropped in code to search for this mysterious fourth bug, it kept coming up with different identifiers. And I could see that it was all, it had three different numbers on the three different sites. Three different numbers on three different sites. It was like they were trying to mask it or to make it hard to track the bug. So it started to dawn on her that the Chinese maybe were trying to hide this vulnerability. And that's where I started realizing, okay, well, this is really interesting. China is practicing hacking critical national infrastructure, hospitals, etc., stuff like that. And it's using a vulnerability that I can't find in any of our databases. As she investigated further, she realized that China appears to be using their vulnerability databases in a very different way than the rest of the world. That's after the break. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Click Here. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. 
As Kristen dug into the vulnerability shell game China was playing, she saw it went much deeper than she'd initially realized. Because for as long as these databases have been around, they've treated all this like something we're all in together, sharing information about vulnerabilities for free as part of the greater good. But over the past six years, it appears China has taken a much different view. And if you want to trace the shift back to its beginnings, it would lead you to a very famous hackathon where contestants race to break into various systems. And welcome back to Vancouver for day two of the Pwn to Own security competition. Pwn to Own is the world's biggest hacking contest. It's been going on since 2007. It has been a day full of fireworks downstairs. The competition takes place in Canada, and teams come from all over the world to see who can discover and exploit critical flaws in popular software products. He was able to evade all the defensive mechanisms by using a sandbox. There are cash prizes, points awarded to various teams, and typically, information about the vulnerabilities they find are turned over to vendors like Google and Adobe and Microsoft. Chinese teams with names like 360 Security, Tencent, and Ether Edge were cleaning up at these competitions. For his final act, he took out Apple Safari using a... And things went on this way for a long time. But then, a few years ago, the Chinese government decided to do something a little different. The government and the Ministry of Public Security passed regulations stating that vulnerability researchers could not leave China to participate in these competitions. This is Dakota Carey. He studies Chinese hackers for the Atlantic Council and works at a U.S. cybersecurity company called Sentinel One. He's teamed up with Kristen to try to get to the bottom of what China is up to. And the best that they can tell is that this big shift of banning Chinese hackers from foreign competitions came around 2017. And so they effectively were saying, you can't disclose these vulnerabilities overseas for cash. China still wanted its hackers to find vulnerabilities, that was certain. What they didn't want to do is share them with the rest of the world. So they brought it in-house. They set up their own competition um, inside China called Tianfu Cup. The Tianfu Cup, China's answer to Pwn to Own. Their teams, cash, prizes, but the results stay at home. They give you the list of targets in advance. You show up, and if you're able to put the exploits together, um, you can win a lot of money. Consider the 2021 Tianfu. Chinese hackers there found vulnerabilities and hackable flaws that were able to take down Google Chrome, Windows 10, and Mac's iOS 15 in just a matter of minutes. And those vulnerabilities they discovered? Well, they didn't go to waste. A vulnerability from that competition was picked up by the Chinese government within a day and then used to target Uyghurs in Xinjiang. In other words, the Chinese government allegedly weaponized the vulnerability a hacker found at Tianfu in 24 hours to target an ethnic minority. This shift by the Chinese has turned the whole ethos of threat hunting and bug bounties on its head. It takes the idea of reporting bugs from being a way to help strengthen a product to seeing it as a natural resource. Vulnerabilities are like a commodity to the Chinese. Almost how you would treat timber or lumber or something like that. This is Kristen Del Rosso again. If you look at the way that our entire world functions now, everything, everything is technology. Everything is a tech company. Everything is a data company. Um, so if you 
want to take intellectual property for your own national security or your own um, espionage methods, whatever it might be, these are definitely items that I think are the new means of success. So why have your best and brightest go to hackathons and help your adversaries? Why don't you just create a homegrown contest and then weaponize whatever they find? And obviously, all the big cyber powers are doing some version of this. They buy vulnerabilities all the time, and they use them to maximum advantage. What they don't do is this other thing China now does, require companies to give them up for free. Two years ago, Chinese leaders announced that anyone doing business in China would now have to report any vulnerabilities they discovered to the government within 48 hours of finding them. Though it was the second part of the law that raised the most eyebrows. Companies and researchers aren't allowed to tell anyone else about what they've discovered or even patch the vulnerability until the Chinese government says it's okay. In a way, Dakota said, it was a brilliant stroke. Instead of the Chinese government having to fund the research themselves and find and purchase those vulnerabilities, they're doing that by putting these regulations in place. They set themselves on top of that pipeline. And they can pick and choose what gets reported to the world and when. No other vulnerability system works that way. In the United States, company reporting of vulnerabilities is voluntary. And the government doesn't get first crack at using something only to tell the world later. In China, now the assumption is that their military and intelligence hacking teams are sitting on thousands of unreported vulnerabilities, and they're probably using them. Dakota and Kristen estimate China is hiding roughly 18,000 bugs. To test their theory, they took a deeper dive into one specific kind of vulnerability, one that targets industrial control systems, or ICS. And the numbers they came up with were sobering. So we know that people in China and researchers in China are able to find ICS, industrial control system, software vulnerabilities, with regularity, with predictability, on the order of at least 100 a year. But in the past two years... All the public data shows that in between uh, 6 and 10 are being released every year. From 100 reported vulnerabilities a year to just 6. Are Chinese hackers having trouble finding coding bugs all of a sudden? Or is something else going on? Dakota zeroed in on industrial control system software for a really good reason. They're the vulnerabilities everybody wants to find. It isn't an exaggeration to say that industrial control systems run the world. These are the systems monitoring and controlling power plants and manufacturing facilities and even water systems. Break into an ICS in one of those, and you can hobble an entire city, even an entire country. Rob Joyce, head of cybersecurity over at the National Security Agency, told me during a session at the Aspen Cyber Summit in November that it's clear that China has groups targeting our critical infrastructure control systems right now. You know, they're operating out of China. They're going to places that have no legitimate intelligence value. They don't have any commercial espionage value. They are there to pre-position on critical infrastructure to give advantage in times of crisis or conflict. In 2022, China is thought to have launched more zero-day attacks than any other country on the planet. Zero days are vulnerabilities in big, ubiquitous programs that no one has discovered yet. 
Kristen said a graph of China's use of zero days in the past two years looks like a hockey stick, up 20% since the reporting law went into effect. And Microsoft recently released a report about this. They believe that this law directly impacted the use of zero days and exploits by Chinese threat actors. People are starting to worry that this approach might spread. While China is the outlier when it comes to vulnerability reporting right now, it might not be for long. Just ask Katie Masarius. As soon as the Chinese made this move, everybody else would start looking at it. Well, wait a minute. How come they get to know things early? We should all know things early, too. And um, I absolutely think it is a dangerous place for us to go. She's the CEO of a bug bounty management firm called Luta Security. Think of her as someone who helps organize vulnerability disclosure programs. She says other governments are taking China's lead. And we're actually seeing that process unfold right now in Europe. She's referring to the EU's Cyber Resilience Act, which was first drafted in September 2022. It would require any companies selling software in Europe to tell a European Union within 24 hours of a previously unknown vulnerability. Supporters of the EU law argue that its version is different from what China has done. The European law, for instance, doesn't want proof of concept code. In other words, company could report the flaw, how someone might get access, but they don't need to provide a roadmap on how to take advantage of it. So they're saying, well, it's not that dangerous because we're not requiring disclosure of technical details and ready-made exploit code. The problem is, once you say that a piece of software or a component is vulnerable, attackers go to town and take a look at that component and then can, you know, further exploit that. So even the provision that is designed to keep that information sharing safer is ill-informed. Katie says having governments insert themselves into the process of collecting vulnerabilities is just asking for trouble. Defenders are not winning the cyber wars right now, so we we can use all the help we can get um, as opposed to having additional vulnerability information in the hands of friendly or unfriendly governments um, who might keep it a secret before, um, before it can get patched. How does that make us any safer as an internet? It doesn't. On November 30th, what Katie had feared became official. The EU announced that it had reached an agreement on some new cyber rules. Companies will now have to report vulnerabilities and cyber incidents to the EU within 24 hours of discovering them. In China, it appears to be going a step further, too. According to draft regulations from the country's internet watchdog, Internet operators may soon be required to report major cybersecurity incidents to the Chinese authorities within an hour of them occurring, or they risk severe punishment. This is Click Here. are a couple of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. Pharmaceutical giant Merck has reportedly reached a settlement with insurers who had refused to cover losses linked to the NotPetya cyber attack of 2017. The undisclosed settlement, first reported by Bloomberg Law, is the culmination of a closely watched court battle that holds huge implications for what constitute acts of war in the cyber context. 
NotPetya was a cyber attack that took advantage of a bug in Windows server software. Initially, it took aim at a Ukrainian accounting software before it spread around the globe. Insurers denied a $700 million Merck claim because there was a clause in their insurance policy that waived insurer responsibility for acts of war. Russian government hackers are thought to be behind the initial attack. Then, in 2022, a New Jersey court ruled that the warfare exemption did not apply to this case, a ruling that was upheld in an appellate court last year. Insurers had appealed, but according to Bloomberg Law, they reached an 11th-hour settlement before oral arguments began at the New Jersey Supreme Court. And finally, the government of Taiwan has said it will publicly release an analysis of China's attempts to interfere with last week's selections on the island. Officials said they wanted to share details so they could help fellow democracies prepare for malign influence campaigns. Voters in Taiwan went to the polls to choose the country's president and elect members to its parliament. China considers Taiwan to be a renegade province and has vowed to bring it back under mainland control by force, if necessary. Click Here is a production of Recorded Future News. Dina Temple-Raston is the host and managing editor of the show. Sean Powers, Will Jarvis, and me, Jade Abdul-Malik, produce it. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors, and Lucas Riley is our staff writer. Darren Ancrum does our fact-checking. Ben Levingston composed the theme music and other original music you heard. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. Megan Goff is our staff illustrator. That's it for this week. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.